Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and of course we're on your smart speaker as well. Coming up, Rishi's Rwanda bill faces criticism as plotting peers debate it in the House of Lords. We'll bring you the latest. In a Talk TV exclusive, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warns he won't bow to pressure to end his war on Hamas and it comes as Donald Trump insists Iran is on the brink of World War III. Nanny state or necessary intervention? Dr. Rishi bans disposable vapes, but is accused of stamping on personal freedoms. We'll speak to someone who nearly died from the habit. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We're kicking off the week with a bang. We've got shocking news about the woke BBC. I'll tell you why cigarettes are on the way back, just how close we are to World War III, and what those farmers have been up to in Paris. Plus, we've got all tomorrow's front pages as well. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Smoke them if you got them. Here we are again. Rishi Sunak's flagship Rwanda bill is facing its first test in the House of Lords this evening. Peers, including the Archbishop of Canterbury, have already criticised the principles of the bill, while the Lib Dems, bless them, are pushing to kill it entirely. The move is expected to fail, but peers have indicated they will try to strip out key powers of the bill as it progresses. Uh, we're not quite sure how it's progressing or where it's progressing or when it's going to be finished, but here to discuss the bill, Talk TV's political correspondent Alicia Fitzgerald is with us, uh, also reporter at the Jewish Chronicle, Georgia Gilholy, and video comment editor at The Telegraph, Stephen Edgington. A very good evening to all of you. Alicia, I'd better start with you, really, because we're underway in the House of Lords. I've heard a few, you know, uh, what you might call predictable statements from some of the many lords in there. What's actually happening? Well, you know what? I wish I had a juicier update for everyone, <laughs> because at the moment... All that's happened is several hours of them debating this, right. this Rwanda bill in very much the same way that we saw in the House of Commons, except here there seems to be two very clear messages. It seems to be those, the Lib Dems, for example, right. there's 80 Lib Dem peers in the House of Lords, which uh -huh. is made up of 750-ish lords. Right. Um, they all want to just topple the Rwanda mm. scheme entirely. Yeah. But we're really kind of seeing that most, it seems like most peers are just not happy with the way that the Rwanda bill is right. at the moment. So we're getting some indication that probably may, 
maybe. Obviously, we don't yeah. know what will happen later. Or yeah, I mean, it could happen during the show, but I'm told... I mean, this is the second reading of the bill, isn't it? So they have to finish it tonight, or could it go on until another day? I mean, what? It, it could be delayed, right. um, annoyingly for everyone, because I'm sure everyone's really fed up of, of hearing about I mean, it. We really just are. Wants a bit of a, bit we of really are, because, I mean, the trouble with this bill is that, in the end, no matter what happens, if it even passes, nothing's really going to make any difference, is it? Well, this is it. So... Rishi Sunak has long said he doesn't know when flights will take off, but we've recently had more of an indication that he said that he actually wants them to take off by the spring. Right. The likelihood of that <laughs> happening, though, given the fact that this bill is still in the House of Lords and there's still many, so many obstacles to overcome, yeah. it is just seeming like a very, very slim chance that that mm. will happen, especially even before the next general election when we know if Labour do get into government, they're not going to go ahead with no. the scheme. And it does seem as though, a bit like the vaping story today, which is the other sort of big story politically of the of the, of the week so far, that, you know, Rishi Sunak's sort of clutching at these straws, hoping that something's going to happen, like something's going to be magicked out of the air and everyone's going to go, ah, I see what you're doing, you're a genius, we must re-elect you. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Georgia, let me ask you, I mean, is there, is there any point to this Rwanda bill? I think in terms of point, I mean, the idea is the, the idea is that the public are very unhappy about immigration because for right. several subsequent elections for basically the past two decades, the public have voted to reduce immigration. Um, people feel that it's out of control. However, the Rwanda bill, as Alicia's obviously been discussing, it's not an adequate solution to illegal immigration. People are getting lost in the weeds. They don't understand what it means. Even if it does happen, will people actually be sent to mm. Rwanda? Um, it's really reeks of a kind of national crisis because the government are saying one thing, another thing is happening or not happening. Um, and I think the reality is it, it will sort of languish in the Lords. I don't think this is something that's actually going to happen. And even if it did, um, I think it's very debatable as to whether it will be the correct yeah. solution. I mean, you do wonder, don't you? I wonder, Stephen, if you, if you have a view on this, whether they're deliberate, they're hoping, that Rishi Sunak's just hoping he just gets stuck in the Lords and never comes back. You know, that way you can go, well, it's all their fault. That's why I couldn't stop the boats. It's all down to them. Well, one would hope that Rishi Sunak <laughs> isn't so cynical, but... Uh, you could, you would like to hope that, wouldn't <laughs> you? You would like to think so, but mm. this is, as Georgia says, a really serious issue. It's a national crisis facing the country. We've seen over 100,000 people come to Britain illegally since 2018. Back, where, back in that year, just 300 people crossed the channel in small boats, and by 2022, it was about 45,000. Yeah. So this is a huge number of people. We're investing massive amounts of money in the hotels just to put them up and everything. Yeah. So it seems like there's a real urgency around this issue, and now it's just stuck in the House of Commons, going back and forth between the House of Lords and the House of Commons... And we're going to be waiting perhaps weeks, months yeah. before this bill's even passed. Well, exactly. 350 more people arrived, I think, on Sunday because it was quite a pleasant day uh, down on the south coast. And there's also reports today from the Mirror, um, Alicia, prison officers being deployed to train contractors on how to force asylum seekers onto deportation planes. I mean, you can see that going well, can't you, without their consent? I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, I don't exactly know how they plan to go about that. I probably don't even want to know either. But I think the more in interesting thing about that is the fact that they're planning on that. They've, they've looked so far ahead that yeah. they still really, really think that that's going to be a feasible situation. Right. When I think most of the public are looking at it, thinking, I don't even think we're going to get the migrants towards the landing strip of the plane, let no. alone on the plane. So I think lots of people will look at that and just think, you know, hold your horses. There are so many other things you need to do before you even get yeah. to that point. Well, Maybe this that's is, not the problem. I mean, this is like American style, isn't it? I mean, the only way they can make this work is if they put them on in orange jumpsuits and chain them to each other and just march them onto, a, you know, one of those Hercules transport jets. Maybe that would work. Well, also, when that initial... 
Rwanda flight didn't take off. So that initial flight that was in 2022 with just seven migrants on it, the reason it didn't take off wasn't because the migrants were refusing to get on the plane. Right. It was because the ECHR gave a last minute ruling yeah. and said that it was unle um, unlawful. It wasn't because the migrants were, you know, kicking and throwing punches and saying they weren't going to get on the plane. So right. I think lots of people will just be a bit confused about where the priorities lie here. For yeah, the I mean, that is the problem because I've been looking as well in the last week or so at a lot of the, the, the venues or the places they want to move them to out of hotels. There's one in Bexhill, there's one in Essex, there's one, uh, you know, up in the Midlands, Northamptonshire, where they're trying to say they're going to use these barracks, which are not ready for people to go into. Um, but they can't move them there until the places are ready. And they haven't got permission yet from the various local, you know, authorities and local communities that they're happy for them to be moved. Definitely. So Rishi Sunak has said for ages we, he wants to move the migrants out of hotels. Obviously, this has been a huge issue for local communities. Lots of MPs have raised the issue saying that their constituents are really angry about migrants being in these hotels. But what he hasn't done is set up adequate spaces for them to move to. You can't yeah. close these hotels and then have nowhere to put the migrants. Right. And putting them in barracks really is just the same of the same issue pretty right. much. It's not going to change anything. Mm. People just want a suitable solution and yeah. that probably isn't it. It really isn't. So we'll keep an eye on this Lord's debate and if anybody says anything really interesting, uh, we'll bring it to you. And if anything happens, we'll also bring that to you. But, you know, at the moment, um, it's just an awful lot of people p making an awful lot of noise and saying a lot of things that you'd expect them to say about how dreadful this all is. Stephen, I must come to you, though, because you've got a great story to Telegraph tonight um, all about the BBC and their recruitment policy. Tell us a little bit about it. We'll probably discuss it more later, but give us a bit of taster for it. So I really think this is an extraordinary story, if I don't say so myself. I thought it was when uh, I saw it, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I've spent years reporting on the civil service and kind of wokeness, and I've yeah. always wanted to do a report on the BBC. And finally, I had my chance today. So essentially what this is, is the BBC's hiring guidelines, official policy for managers, asks all candidates in one major editorial, non-editorial department a question about diversity. So they basically ask them, what is your viewpoint on diversity and inclusion? Mm. How would you support diversity and inclusion within the BBC if you were successful in your role? And managers are given a document which basically says the correct and incorrect answers to this question. So the document says exactly, quote, don't hire if candidates, quote, uh, lack an interest and a positive intent towards diversity and inclusion, are derisive or dismissive of diversity and inclusion and surrounding topics. Now, that phrase mm. is incredibly subjective. And to me, what that means is uh, critical race theory. Yeah. It means radical trans activism. It means all of the things that we've seen encroaching, not only in the BBC in terms of Black Lives Matter mm. and other topics, but also across the whole of Whitehall and other public bodies. So this basically is saying we will not hire people who disagree with the diversity and inclusion ideology mm. and surrounding topics. And I just want to read you a quote from yes. a, a person inside the BBC who said to me for this story, the BBC is not a welcoming place for those with conservative opinions. Management talk about diversity without embracing diversity of thought. The place that I have given years of my working life and that I, and that I sincerely cherish currently feels captured by left-wing activists and is unable to deliver on the core principles of impartiality. So I think this really is an extraordinary yeah. statement from the BBC. It does go to the heart of all the things that we've been talking about for the past sort of several weeks and maybe even months. I mean, Georgia, I put it to you, I mean, there's a lot of um, disquiet about some of the things Gary Lineker comes out with, there's a lot of disquiet about some of the orders issued by uh, BBC management, for example, when they urged their employees not to go on a, an anti-Semitism march, 
um, uh, you know, and, and, and not to... Um, a lot of people saying they feel very uncomfortable working at the BBC, given the sort of the leftists' view of, of what's going on in Palestine. And, I mean, this proves it, because, I mean, the BBC, to, for me, anyway, is one of the least diverse places on Earth, because everybody there is middle class. You know, there isn't... <clears> it doesn't matter what colour they are. They're all from the same kind of schools, they're all from the same kind of backgrounds, and there really isn't much difference between them, is there? No, absolutely. Um, I think Stephen's is brilliant at um, uh, revealing sort of the level this has got to. I think the only thing that's worth adding maybe is that the BBC has been like this for decades upon mm. decades. I mean, in the 60s and 70s, it was the forefront of some of the really boundary-pushing dramas and comedy um, programmes that sort of, should we say, push the fashionable 60s um, view of morality yeah. and of politics um, into a lot of people's lives. Um, if you're familiar with um, the play for the day, they used to have, I think it was yes. on Wednesdays in the 60s and 70s. I remember I used to stay up late to watch Occasionally <laughs> yeah. people took their clothes off. And I've, I've, gone, it. I've gone back and watched a few of them. Some of them are great, some of them are not so great. Um, people would complain at the time that they were... Um, lots of them were written by uh, communists. Yes. So the BBC has been this well, way John for a John Simpson time. just came out this week, didn't he, to reveal that his girl long-time girlfriend <laughs> that he had was a Czech spy. He's supposed to be the chief foreign correspondent. He had no idea. He kind of going, sorry? You know, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, not the best uh, discernment from someone who's supposed to be a foreign no, correspondent. No, and he hasn't exactly been covering himself with glory. Anyway, we'll talk more about play for today later. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing at me. But listen, we'll come back to this later because uh, the Lords debate continues, but we've got many more other stories to talk about as well. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Don't dare change the channel because uh, coming up next, we'll bring you Talk TV's exclusive interview with the Israeli Prime Minister about why they won't stop fighting. And Donald Trump's warning, we're on the brink of world War three. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. As the situation in the Middle East threatens to boil over tonight, the Israeli Prime Minister has told Talk TV in an exclusive interview that his country will fight till the end. Speaking to special correspondent Douglas Murray, Netanyahu added that beating Hamas would take some time, but that the conflict was wider than just Israel, warning the West, if barbarism wins here, Europe will be next, and then America will be next. The US and other, others of your allies want you to wrap up the war in Gaza as soon as possible. But everyone you speak to here believes, rightly, I think, that it's going to be months of war to come. How do you reconcile those two things, keeping your allies happy, but doing what you feel you need to do in Gaza? We have to win in Gaza. We have to achieve total victory. Hamas cannot be left standing, coming out of the ruins with a V sign and saying, we'll do it again and again and again, which they promised to do. So first, for our own sake, for our own future, we have to defeat these monsters. Secondly, I don't think it's just our case. It's also the case, as I've told uh, uh, President Biden, I've told all the leaders who came here, I said, this is your war as well, because this is not merely a minor skirmish. Mm. This is part of a major confrontation between the moderate axis of Israel and the moderate Arab states against Iran, the terror axis of Iran, who is the three H's, Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, mm. and others. And the whole world is now watching. Who's going to win? They're sitting in the bleachers. Mm. Who will win? Will Iran win or will Israel win? Will they win or will the West win? So uh, I think that... Uh, what I say to our American friends, whose help I appreciate a, a great deal, I said, uh, the war will take as long as it takes, 
but it will result in total victory because this, our battle is your battle and our victory is your victory as well. Well, for much more on this, let's go live to Jerusalem and speak to Talk TV's war correspondent, Tom Much. Tom, uh, very good evening to you. Thanks for joining us on the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Benjamin Netanyahu doesn't speak all that often. He spoke to Douglas Murray at some length. We'll hear some more from him uh, in a little while. Um, there's a lot of pressure on him at the moment. What's the reaction been like to this interview and to what he's been saying lately about fighting kind of for as long as it takes? So what I found really, really interesting that he said in his interview was that he wasn't so much talking about the stakes for Israel as he was trying to internationalize the conflict as wide as he possibly can. He was trying to say to the Americans, you have a stake in this conflict. And I thought it was very interesting as well that he mentioned moderate Arab countries. Now, there he's likely referring to states like Bahrain or the UAE and especially Saudi Arabia, who Israel... You know, the first two Israel uh, made peace agreements, and that has been really trying to get a peace agreement with Saudi Arabia. Now, there is this perception, especially in the rest of the Arab world, that it is Israel against the Arab world. He's trying to say, no, it's not like that. We still want to be your friends and your partners. We want to fight the Iranians and trying to lump Hamas in entirely with this kind of Iranian axis of terror, Hamas, Hezbollah and the Houthis. That's sort of the new kind of line that is coming out of the Israelis at the moment to try and make it look like this is not just an Israel against the Arab world. It's a sort of a West versus the rest, a West mm. versus the bad guys kind of yes. uh, lineup. And I guess he's getting some help, is he not, on that thesis from what is going on around the region? Because although Iran uh, denied any involvement in those uh, drone strikes against the, the US base and the three dead Americans, you know, um, it's very clear that Iran has a great deal of involvement in either subsidising or funding uh, or supplying um, weapons to many of these dissident groups around Syria, um, whether it's Hamas as well, um, and also in Lebanon. Yeah, so the interesting thing with Iran is to what extent we all know that it funds and supports these movements, but what the, the real question has always been how much control does Iran actually have over these um, particular movements? It's thought that it controls Hezbollah in Lebanon fairly closely, mm. but the Houthis, for instance, seem to have been a rather independent actor. No one actually knows whether they're doing the attacks on shipping with the absolute blessing of Iran or not. Same with this recent movement in Iraq, the, the, the Islamic resistance uh, of Iraq, which was, you know, formerly a fairly nondescript movement that wasn't that well known, now seems to have killed three US troops in Jordan. Mm. Now, American leaders have said that behind the scenes, they don't believe Iran really wants a regional war. They, they worry that it would run out of, you know, ammunition or weapons uh, if it ever got into a fight with the United States. And that that's probably the reason that it hasn't allowed its most powerful proxy, which is Hezbollah, to really go full out against Israel in the north. But the worry is that there are two, really. One is that it, Iran decides that it is in its interest to really go for a regional war, in which case this could escalate massively, or it, it, also that Iran loses some of that potential control over its proxies who start using the weapons and the funding uh, to kind of pursue their own aims, such as, for instance, if Hezbollah did decide to go for a larger escalation in the north. 
No, of course. And Iran, it turns out, has been slapped with fresh sanctions by the US and the UK today because of that deadly drone attack in Jordan, which killed three American soldiers. The White House has laid the blame squarely at radical-backed Iran militant groups, the sentiment echoed uh, by Prime Minister Netanyahu. Let's come on to the bigger question then, uh, Iran. Uh, everywhere in the region, whether it's in Gaza, whether it's in Lebanon, whether it's in uh, Yemen with the Houthis, um, everything leads back to Iran. Mm -hmm. how, can you, how can you solve any of this without addressing the question of Iran? It seems to me your at risk of fighting skirmishes in the Iranian war, but your prime enemy that says it wants to annihilate this country we're sitting in uh, is still sitting in Tehran. Yeah, well, I think that uh, a total victory over Hamas will impact this larger, uh, this larger contest. Because people will see who's winning. Israel won or Iran won. The West won or Iran won. Uh, and I think that will have an influence on uh, other countries in the region and other conflicts in the region. But secondly, there's a larger uh, issue as well. And that's Iran's quest to uh, develop nuclear weapons. Because if you, you, you can see what Iran is doing now without nuclear weapons. It's, uh, uh, it's sending terrorists across uh, the Middle East and the world. It's trying to uh, subvert governments. It's uh, using its uh, Houthi proxies to block the international maritime uh, uh, route in uh, uh, the Red Sea. Uh, it's, uh, 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 its proxies are killing Americans as we speak. In Iraq and... Uh... Well, yes, in many places, not only there. Uh, and uh, the question is, uh, and attacking them, uh, continuously. So th this is what Iran is doing without nuclear weapons. Now imagine they had nuclear weapons and we, we understand, we can see in the world, what does it mean when you have a country that is aggressive in intent and has nuclear weapons? You could see what is happening with a, a much smaller country, a much less uh, dangerous country, North Korea. Uh, it develops nuclear weapons and half of Asia quakes in fear can threaten Japan and maybe very soon the, uh, the United States itself. Well, Iran is different from North Korea because Iran has an ideology of, uh, uh, of uh, domination and conquest and subjugation. They call us the small Satan. They call the U.S. the great Satan. They chant death to Israel, death to America. Can the United States, can Europe, can the civilized world allow such a regime to have nuclear weapons? And the answer is no. So the jury is out on all of us. Douglas Murray talking to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Tom Much is in Jerusalem for us. I mean, if you wanted to know precisely what's being said in the United States, Tom, let me show you this from Donald Trump. He's obviously campaigning to become the next president of the United States of America. Here's what he has to say about his peacekeeping abilities. Shortly after we win the presidency, I will have the horrible war between Russia and Ukraine settled. I'll get it done fast. I know them both. And we will restore on this planet peace through Earth. I am the only candidate who can make this promise to you. I will prevent World War III. And we're very close to World War III. We're very close to World War III. So, um, Donald Trump there vowing to, uh, to stop World War III from happening. Um, there's certainly a lot of talk about World War III, Tom. Um, what does it feel like where you are? 
So here I think people have sort of gotten used to the day-to-day threat of just something major happening. Mm. Everyone kind of got into war mode in the back of their mind after October the 7th, right? You know, we still we had a bunch of missiles fired at Israel today, and people are now sort of at the stage where they sort of go about their daily lives. A lot of people also are gearing up for a potential war in the north with Hezbollah. I think people have sort of accepted that there could be some really major uh, war. But I think what's interesting to take again from what Netanyahu said to Douglas Murray is he said something along the lines of, we need to win in Gaza in a sense to set an example to Iran and to the rest of the world. So what he's almost saying is, look, there is still a chance that if we win decisively in Gaza, we can isolate this conflict. We can localize this conflict so that it doesn't spread into major escalations in other theaters, because by defeating Hamas, we will have deterred major conflicts in those other theaters. Now, whether he's right about that, I guess we'll find out in the coming months. Absolutely. Tom, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Tom much reporting in uh, from Jerusalem there uh, with reaction to the interview with Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, which you can hear more about, of course, coming up a little bit later on in this show and, of course, uh, on our YouTube channel and on the Talk TV app. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stay right here, though, because coming up, there's a fresh ban on disposable vapes of small Tory rebellion into the air. We'll speak to a young man whose vaping addiction nearly killed him at the age of just 16. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Rishi Sunak is set to face yet another rebellion over his vaping ban and ambitions for a smoke-free generation. But is this truly the right decision or an unnecessary nanny state intervention from the government? To discuss this, I'm joined by the Director General of the UK Vaping Industry Association, John Dunn, and Ewan Fisher, an ex-smoker who almost died from vaping uh, as a teenager. Welcome to both of you. Uh, the Independent Republican Mike Graham is the place to debate this kind of stuff. Um, let's talk, first of all, um, about the situation regarding what it's like now, because at the moment, it seems to me, John, if I come to you first, um, teenagers will get hold of whatever it is that they want to get hold of. I'm told by teenagers that I speak to, and I've got two uh, myself, that basically you're not supposed to buy these vapes if you're under 18 anyway. Um, so what is this actually going to do to change that? Absolutely nothing. In fact, it's actually going to make the problem worse because instead of having a, a market that's predominantly dominated by legitimate brands, you're going to turn this over to criminals and, and, and the black market. That's all that's going to happen. Right. You know, Rishi Sunak is deluded if he thinks this is going to make disposal vapes go away. And then you're going to have an environmental nightmare as well because nobody in the industry is going to fund the recycling. And where do most of these vapes, if you're going to talk about these um, disposable vapes, where do most of them come from? Where are they manufactured? Everything is manufactured in uh, a city called Shenzhen in China. That's where right. most vapes come from worldwide. Um, but they've grown in popularity in the last two years. Uh, and that's why we're starting to see it hit the news. But they're not a new product. They've been around for well over 15 years. Yeah. Well, I think I was first shown... I used to smoke until I was uh, about um, 2017, and I was shown those kind of uh, things that actually look like cigarettes, but we've got a battery in them. Yep. Um, and those were, I presume, not the disposable kind, but they've certainly been around since, since seven or eight years ago. No, even the ones you're talking about that look like a cigarette back in the day, those, were, those did come in a disposable um, form. 
And the reason disposables were always so popular, especially amongst um, the high smoking areas and the low income areas, is because they are a low entry point into vaping. But they are quite expensive to use if you use them on a regular basis. Mm. And that's why the open tank systems where consumers fill the device themselves became popular because it's far more cost efficient to do it that way. But the problem here really isn't the, the, the products themselves. It's how young people are getting them. And this is why one of the things that we've called on the government to do is license vape retailers and distributors to make sure that they understand that they have to age gate these products and then find the hell out of those ones that don't do it. We had a story um, about three weeks ago where uh, a court up north fined a retailer who sold vapes to a 14-year-old on two different occasions. The court fined him £28, which is ridiculous. Yeah. We want to see that fine him a minimum of £10,000 because that's what's going to stop these rogue retailers from selling to kids. Yeah, exactly. You and let me come to you. You and I have spoken before about how terribly dangerous it was for you to get more or less addicted to, to vaping and, and how you almost died uh, in hospital as a, as a result. I mean, how, where were you getting uh, your vapes at, at the age of 16? And, and is it different now? So I was getting them from the local high-speed shops, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. Um, and I've even been in myself before and got one from a reputable company. Right. Or it was even easy enough just to ask anybody. You could ask anybody and they'd probably go in and get you, even if you was in your school uniform. Right. And I don't really know how easy it is now, but it seems that all the kids that I see every morning going to school or leaving school, whatnot, they're all vaping. Yeah. So there must be like an easier way of getting them somehow. Well, there must be. And a lot of people who are critical of this policy by Rishi Sunak say that the whole point of vapes is that they're supposed to be an alternative to smoking cigarettes. And so they're supposed to be a better idea than smoking cigarettes. And one of the things that might happen if they ban them is that the kids will just start smoking cigarettes again. Yeah, no, that could happen. Of course it could. But the thing that I'm also thinking is, well, smoking was looked at as something positive like 40, 50 years ago. And how's anybody to say that vaping isn't going to be the exact same as what smoking used to be? So now all the bad consequences have come out and people are dying all the time and whatnot. Who's to say within the next however many years that vaping isn't going to cause the exact same effects? Well, that's true. John, let me come back to you. I mean, is there any evidence, for example, that the amount of vaping has gone up and it could go back down again. You know how teenagers are famously sort of faddish, aren't they? I mean, I don't see, for example, as many of those little canisters of laughing gas on the ground as I used to see, say, about a year ago. I don't know whether that's because it's become more difficult to get them or whether people have moved on. But I do wonder sometimes, if you just leave it alone, whether it just becomes something that kids don't do so much in a year. I think, I think to a point you, you will get there. We've seen that happen in the US where vaping became very popular and now it's, it's, uh, it's dissipating. But again, you know, Ewan talks about it. It's really easy to get these products. Mm. And that's why we've got to really come down hard on those retailers that are selling them to kids. But you've made another point as well about, um, you know, what happens to smoking rates yeah. when things get banned. There's been a lot of reports done recently where... Um, smoking rates go up around about 4.6% if vapes are banned. Right. And if you look at a place like Australia, for instance, that's brought in a ban on, this, on, on vaping products, 95% of vapors in, the, in, in Australia now buy illegal products from the black market. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. 
And as far as the way that the, the, the business is going to work, I mean, I see, I, you'll know the difference, John, and I won't, between sort of what you might call regular licensed shops or, or reputable shops. I mean, I see everywhere I go vape shops opening up. I don't know whether they're legitimate vape shops. I would have no idea what I was buying if I went into one. I wouldn't have a clue as to whether they needed to apply uh, to sell what they're selling, what sort of duty of care they've got. I mean, are we in a kind of Wild West situation here? The, the fact of the matter is we have lots of laws in this country around the age gating of this product. But the fact of the matter is that those laws are not being enforced at all. So the idea of bringing in more laws because the other laws aren't being enforced just seems comical to me. Yeah. Um, but the other problem as well is that, you know, and this is why we're asking for the licensing of the products, is that I'm seeing butcher shops, I'm seeing hairdressers all selling these disposable vapes that have no idea that legally they are obliged to, to, to look for ID when they sell these products. Yes. And the other issue that we've got in this country, uh, and, and I had to actually bring it to the attention of, of both trading standards and the government, is that non-nicotine-containing vapes have no regulation at all, and it's legal for a five-year-old to go in and buy a non-nicotine vape. No, it'd have to be over 18. Right. It is an extremely uh, difficult problem to, to, to sort out and, and to fix. We're going to take um, a little break, though, uh, because we have, I think, a result in the House of Lords tonight on the Rwanda bill. Uh, we'll find out exactly what's going on very, very shortly. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and you're going to want to hold on to that seat of yours uh, because the EU is trying to banish so-called gendered language. And, of course, back home, Sunak is navigating snakes in his own ranks. Stay with me. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for Taking the Mic. Now, it's got to be said that there is nothing as informative as the words that we speak. I mean, after all, what better way to delineate the sensible from the insensible than by studying the words that people use in their everyday interactions with other people? At the home of common sense, we have a phrase for the people who get offended every five minutes because of the words that people use. We call them reality deniers. That is, they deliberately and quite obtusely avoid using the accurate descriptions of things in order to stick to some weird but imagined code of language because they think they should. We have no such bounds here at the Independent Republic. Indeed, we believe that we should be free to say whatever we want, albeit with responsibility and an understanding of how powerful words can be. To wit, any member of Joe Public ought to be entitled to be as bossy or as pushy as he or she wants to be, even in the presence of the King and Queen. After all, if you're going to prove yourself to be the best man for the job, you can't be too virile or too shrill. To get through no man's land, you may need to enlist the help of the odd repairman. You don't get to be master of ceremonies without the right amount of manpower. Now, that statement makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It works as a piece of advice, you would think, for anyone entering the public square. But there's a problem. The European Union doesn't like it. That's right. Those unelected bureaucrats in Brussels reckon it's full of gendered language. So they've compiled a 61-page document outlining just why what I just said is offensive. If I was to take any notice of the European Institute for Gender Equality's toolkit on gender-sensitive communication, I'd have to rewrite it. And here's how it would sound. Any average citizen ought to be entitled to be as assertive as he or she wants to be, even in the presence of the Queen and King. After all, if you're going to prove yourself to be the best candidate for the job, you can't be too energetic or high-pitched. To get through unclaimed territory, you may need to enlist the help of the odd technician. You don't get to be host without the right amount of workforce. I mean, 
I'm sorry to have to say this, but what a load of old cobblers, or should I say, what a load of old shoe repair people. Doesn't really sound as good, does it? And why do we have to transpose king and queen to queen and king? For those of you who may have been living under a stone for the last eight years, we've actually left the European Union, thank goodness, so we don't actually have to kowtow to this nonsense. But beware, there are plenty of homegrown reality deniers here as well. And I've got an easy response for you to give them when they tell you you can't boldly go where no man has gone before. Just say no. So, coming to you full force, it's a thunderous independent republic, Mike Graham, right here uh, on Talk TV. Just as the world seems to be getting away with woke-filled murder, the Tories continue to collapse. The latest coup led by Simon Clark has flopped with the touted leader, and the House of Lords are now voting on what to do about the Rwanda bill. Let's go there live and see what's going on. They have voted contents 84, not contents 206, so the not contents have it. The question is, this bill be read a second time? Many of that screen will say content, the contrary not content, the contents have it. I beg to move the second motion in my name on the order paper. The question is that this bill be committed to... Well, I've no, I have no idea what any of that means. The non-contents, the contents have it, the no-contents have it. Not quite sure what's going on now. But anyway, Laura Dodsworth is here. Uh, Laura, very, very good afternoon. Very good evening, I should say to you. Good evening. Um, it, it sounds like the people who drafted that EU um, gender gobbledygook might have yes. um, given the House of Lords some advice there on drafting. I know. You see, you can take the UK out of the EU, but can you take the EU out of the UK? Well, can That's you take it out of the House of Lords? <laughs> I don't my think problem. so. I don't think there's anybody in the House of Lords that actually voted to leave the European Union. I don't think anybody is in there doing that. But anyway, we'll bring you whatever that means with Alicia Fitzgerald, our uh, political correspondent coming up a little bit later on but it would seem as though the second reading has happened and so now it will either go back to the House of Commons and nothing will happen um, or it will sit there for another few weeks and nothing will happen so overall nothing will happen. What a legacy for this government, what a colossal I know. waste of, of energy, time, money mm. spent on a dead cat. Yeah, it really is. And now they've got another dead cat with a vaping story as well, which is... I like this one. You like the vaping? I do. Because well, you've I've got, got teenage I've sons, I've got two teenage sons, you, yeah. uh, Would it be wise to ask you whether they vape or not? Because um, I, I spoke <laughs> to mine... What do you think? Well, probably yes. I mean, I spoke to mine who have done and sometimes do doesn't that don't really much anymore. Um, they both said to me, look, you're not really supposed to get them if you're under 18, but we know how to, so... If you need to get a vape to smoke under 18, you can. You know, I wrote about this on my Substack uh, just a few weeks ago. It's not just vapes, but there are loads of shops near us that are well known among the local ute for mm. selling vapes right. underage. You know, your bottle of Captain Morgan's rum yeah. or individual cigarettes. Strongbow cider or something yeah, like I that. Mean, Other brands are available, of, obviously. All of these rules are being flexed. Mm. So, this is only going to solve part of the problem. But I do take issue specifically with the vapes. Now, I know you and I wouldn't normally be champions for the nanny state, would we? But these disposable vapes were designed entirely for children, let's be honest. Yeah. Look at the array of the colours, the flavours. They think they're cool. You know, at the train station today, I saw two lads obviously bunking off school. They couldn't be more than 13 with those disposable yeah. vapes. Yeah. I would like And that it's younger reach. children as well that the problem uh, is, is, is aimed at because the yeah. older kids don't want the younger kids' ones, they want the older ones, don't they? So it's, you're actually looking at 13, 14 as opposed to 16, 17. By that time, their big tobaccos... I was going to use a word I shouldn't use on air, probably. 
We're right. Lifelong, lifelong customers, customers yes. we say. Yes. They're, they're big tobacco's lifelong customers by the time they got started yeah. on those bubblegum flavours. Although, bizarrely, things. people are saying to me that those who are against this particular bill, if, in fact, they introduce um, the idea that people can't vape, they will go back to cigarettes. So there is that danger as well. Even though, supposedly, you know, cigarettes are expensive, you can get them on the black market. You know, there's all kinds of conversations we can have about it. But let's talk about something even more interesting than the vaping conversation, and that is the pillar... Um, of whatever it is in uh, London Bridge Station. It's very close to where we work here. It's not just a London-centric story, but it's created a huge row between some people in the gay community who think it's over-the-top and ridiculous, other people who work for the railway who seem to think it's the right thing to do. Basically, it's a pillar in London Bridge Station that's been covered in flags, isn't it? Have you got a picture of it? We have, I, there it is. I, I went to see it in real life today. It certainly is a kaleidoscope of something. Yes. I mean, it's a statement, I mean, how, how isn't it? It's a very... About? Well, I don't think you could count. Mm. I'm not sure you're supposed to. You're just yeah. supposed to be overawed with the... I mean, look, the, the classical world gave us the Doric column, the yes. Ionic column, the Corinthian yes. column, and you can see beautiful examples of these in buildings we still visit today, mm -hmm. you know, the Parthenon in yeah. Athens, the portico of the Pantheon I in I used Rome. to go to a cinema in Golders Green called the Ionic when I was a kid, and it actually had Ionic pillars. Of course it is, because they're beautiful. Yeah. And Network Rail has given us the imbecilic column. I mean, I went, I went round it and there was, there was a, a railway guy there and I said, how are you supposed to know what the different flags right. are? And he pointed out there's a QR code. I hadn't seen the small black and white QR code oh. because oh, I was what, almost so, blinded so by all the rainbows. So you that and then it tells and you everything tell you, about it. And it'll tell you what but they are. But what if you haven't got the wherewithal to get a QR code onto your phone? Like, for example, many people who don't travel um, with a smartphone. Do you know, the ironic thing is, they say that this is supposed to reduce confusion about gender identity. Mike, I have never been so confused, because <laughs> I don't know what they all mean. Right. I do know it's this kind of... The column now is like a colossus to gender identity, yeah. which I actually find a little bit offensive. Mm. You know, I'm a woman who yes. believes in biological sex. And yes. So every time I have to come to News UK now, I have to walk past this monument to some weird political ideology yeah. that I don't believe in, right. that really says, in a, in a way, that the state of biological sex of womanhood is meaningless mm. in the face of unicorn gender identity. One and you kind of have to accept every flag, right? You can't just go, I quite like those three, but those four over there, not so sure. Um, couple in the middle, don't mind. You know, you have to like all of them, right? I don't like they're... any of them, I'm afraid. <laughs> One of them's got a pie symbol on it, and I think I know what pie? that... Yeah, look, the infinite... What, that steak kidney pie? No, that would... Oh, the... That would be the sign Just taking wait. you to that's, uh, Greg's. That's the next thing, although yeah. it sounds a bit gammony for yeah. um, LGBTQ. You mean the, the 22 over 7 pie, that pie? Yeah, the infinity yeah. symbol. So that's supposed to mean an infinite number of gender identities or sexes that you fancy, right. I think. So, i.e., you know, you're going to be very busy. Yeah. But that's the thing about these flags. You know, they're not just about gender identity, they're about, they're about sex, about who you fancy, right. whether it's no because you're aromantic, yes. or both sexes, or the unicorn panoply of genders, I've been through or, this aromantic or everybody. Thing aromantic um, is when you don't feel um, any love for anybody that you've had sex with, isn't it? Oh God, which I is don't basically know. just a there's, bastard. And there's it? asexual, which is not wanting sex at all. I oh think. no, that's different. I think that's something else. This is very complicated. You just know, being a bastard. Yeah, there's just a flag being, a bastard. being a bastard. I think there should be, yeah, because Brilliant. you know, uh, I know a lot of people. There like should that. be. That's yeah. one flag we need. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> no, the only reason I know so much about these flags is because some council somewhere, I can't remember where, it might have been Wales somewhere, decided to fly these flags at various points of the year. So you can have um, there's a, I think there's a, um, a a romantic day. 
that appears in the calendar and then you can fly the Abraham be a bastard day. Flag. Yeah, be a bastard day. Every day for me, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, so it's just ridiculous, though. It is. You know, I think if um, if a movement, can we call it a movement, if it's taken over a whole column in a train station? Well, the trouble is they can't all agree, though, because there's a lot of people who have maybe one flag represented there. They don't like some of the other flags, so they're all arguing with each other. Well, this is the point I was going to make. If a movement needs as many flags, it's not really any kind of movement no. at all. It's it's confusion. It's mental confusion. Mm. I think, really, this pillar is an icon for our times. It's, yes. It's really quite... It's a bit like a modern-day Tower of Babel, isn't it? I like that. Eh? Yes, it is. Gender People are identity. all talking different languages and yeah. they don't communicate with each other. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, um, ironically, um, the Daily Mail that report, uh, which reported mm. on this today pointed out that in 2020, Network Rail removed an I Heart J.K. Rowling flag from mm. Edinburgh Waverley train station. Of course they did. Because it was too political. So, the, you know, this sums up everything about this ideological mm. movement. You can't have a flag in support of a woman who was called a transphobe, yeah. but you can have a whole column dedicated to all these different movements. You know, we don't even right. know what they are. Right. It's just laughable. And by coincidence, this week you still can't get a train because there's a whole series of strikes and work to rules going on, which started today and is going to run all the way through until next Monday. I actually put out a tweet last night saying, can anybody tell me why they've cancelled the 2305 to Hastings? Is there a flag for it? Uh, which some people saw the funny side of, other people thought was a disgraceful thing to say because all these people are so sensitive about their flags. Well, it can't be pilloried enough, Mike. Very good. I see what you did there. Let's talk about uh, some of the other events of uh, the weekend. Holocaust Memorial Day, of course, it was uh, at the weekend. Uh, some politicians, of course, couldn't quite bring themselves um, to say the J word, could they? Yeah, some pillars of society need mm. to be, um, yeah, pilloried right here, right now. This is you going know... well, this pillory. <laughs> it's a bit of a gift, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think what's really... Do you, do you remember that game Taboo? There's yes. a card game whereby you had to convey a word's meaning to the other players in the game but without using certain words. And for me, watching certain high-profile public figures supposedly commemorate mm. International Holocaust Memorial Day was like watching that game called Taboo yes. being played. Right. It's like watch them commemorate International Holocaust Memorial Day mm. through tight lips, clenched doors, jaws, eyes cast down, while refusing to use the words Jew and Jewish yes. and, God forbid, anti-Semitism. Yes. Now, the word genocide itself was created in the wake of the Second World mm. War to describe what happened. Yeah. And um, Labour MP... I'm going to really struggle to say her name here because when I say it, I, I mix it up with somebody else completely right. different. Well, Kate Asaymore, I think is how you say it. She's Labour Co-op MP for Edmonton who has been suspended by the Labour Party, I believe. Yeah, so she's been suspended because um, while she did acknowledge the Jews in her message in yeah. the Memorial Day Trust book and on Twitter, she finished her message off by saying, it basically, it mirrors the um, ongoing genocide in Gaza. Yeah. Now... Um, well, she remembers all those murdered during the Holocaust and Nazi persecution of other groups. Also, we never forget those killed in other genocides that followed in Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia, Darfur... Well, you could add a few to that if you want to sort of start going around the world looking at where a lot of people were killed for no particular reason, right? It's just a mockery, though, of International mm. Holocaust Memorial Day, which, yeah. of course, was set up because of the Holocaust. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, it's it commemorates the liberation of Auschwitz-Birkenau, which is a camp where alone 1.1 million Jews were killed. Ovens were specially created and gas chambers mm. and train tracks to methodically exterminate a whole race. Yeah. 
And not just the Jews in Germany or, you know, Nazi-occupied Europe. The Nazis um, wanted, as we know from the Wannsee Conference, to kill every yeah. Jew in Europe. Now, yeah. that's a genocide. Yeah. And while the loss of civilian life in Gaza is appalling, you yeah. know, nobody wants to see the violence and the, the death and the sadness, it isn't a genocide. Yeah. And so what she was doing was really conveying yeah. a political agenda, totally the wrong day to do it, yeah. really insulting to British Jews, to Jews around the world, to the day itself. And she's just one of many. There was also... And she shouldn't um, have done it. She we're, shouldn't have done we're it. We're out of time, No, but we, we didn't get to Humza Yusuf, who didn't manage to say the word Jew at all. I know. We've got to go. Sorry, too much time on the pillar. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham and you will be for another whole hour. You better be. The French are going to show you how to protest with style and Alex Salmon's going to tell us what the hell Rishi Sunak has to do with Britney Spears. Back very soon. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and of course we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, Dr Rishi has wider plans for smoking to make us all healthier. We'll speak to Alex Salmon, who banned 16-year-olds from smoking in Scotland when he was First Minister. Labour plans to slap VAT on private school fees, but new research suggests it's deprived grammar school kids who will feel the pain. And this is unbelievable. The council doubles down on fining people for taking a leak in the countryside because apparently it's like littering. Now, watching the shenanigans of the world of politics today, you might be convinced that the two things most occupying the great British people are whether to stop teenagers inhaling fruit-flavoured smoke and sending a few hundred illegals and migrants to Rwanda for a while. Of course, you'd be wrong, because the great British public actually does care about a great many other things that the government doesn't seem to be doing very much about. And I'm not talking about the Prime Minister's weekly fasting habit. Take lawless Britain. We now know that 6,000 crimes go undetected in this country every single day. We also know that you're more likely to see a video of a police officer telling people they can't sing religious songs in public than watch an actual arrest being made. We know that you've got more chance of seeing a shooting star than getting a visit from the police if you report a burglary. And we know that our streets are becoming ever more lawless and dangerous with every night that passes in 2024. Take this weekend as an example. Just a few days after a 15-year-old boy was stabbed to death in Birmingham, 
Two more young teenage males were murdered in Bristol after a mob attacked them armed with knives and other weapons. It was just one of dozens of violent incidents that happened in the past 20, 72 hours. You will have seen the football hooligans brawling at the West Bromwich Albion local FA Cup derby game with Wolverhampton Wanderers. Fists were flying around children who had gone to the match with their parents. One middle-aged woman with a handbag actually invaded the pitch. Fans were spotted with blood running down their faces and the game was held up for half an hour before order could be restored. Social media also recorded punch-ups in Oldham and various other cities in the north of England while grown men set about each other on the tube in London on Saturday night. Bewildered passengers could be seen looking on in horror as one man was kicked and punched to the ground when the train stopped at a station. All of these lawless incidents only serve to show a snapshot of what is a society out of control. The police have largely lost the plot when it comes to violent public brawls, sometimes involving dozens of protagonists and more and more parents are having to bury their children as a result of how violent our youngsters have become. Stopping them from vaping might be one thing. How about we stop them from killing each other? That seems like a far more laudable ambition to me. Now, later in the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front page. But before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at The Sun newspaper. And they're going with Marcus Rashford, a man um, who is supposed to be an England international and a Manchester United star, making hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. Uh, Rashford's 12-hour tequila party before calling in sick. He went to a nightclub in Belfast and then reported himself to be too ill to train. I mean, my goodness me. Things have changed. Remember what George Best used to do on a Saturday night before he played football. Uh, there we are. Now, uh, Rishi Sunak has taken a small nanny state policies as presumably preparing the public for more finicky state interference ahead uh, of what is very likely to be a certain Labour victory. The ban on vapes has been held by what's left of actual right-wingers in the party as profoundly unconservative. What's even less conservative is news that Rishi Sunak's Sunday to Tuesday fasting includes Peloton classes done... To Britney Spears' greatest hits, Hit Me Baby One More Time. Joining me in the studio tonight is Alba Party leader and former First Minister of Scotland, uh, the one and only Mr Alex Salmon. Alex, welcome and good well, to see you. I'll just tell you the, the Marcus Rashford thing. I mean, when George Best used to go from Belfast to Manchester yeah. to go to the nightclubs, Rashford's doing it in reverse. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, he's got a mate, apparently, who plays for some team in, in Northern Ireland. He's obviously just discovered the delights of Belfast. But, well, I mean, but the thing about George Best is that after a, a full night at the nightclub, he used to roll up to training, couldn't uh, train a stick, and then came out in a match day and scored five goals. Yes, I mean, that was his thing. It was an incredible situation. Uh, now, we want you to talk us about, talk us through, because I was in Scotland, I believe, when the smoking ban first came in, and I was very irked by it, mm. because I was obviously older than 16, and I wasn't mm. there when you were first minister, but... Um, I, I, got, I got you out of the country before you I did took get, off You it. did, you did do that, yeah, chased me. Um, but I do remember standing outside many sort of bars and restaurants in Glasgow mm. in howling gales, smoking and cursing Jack McConnell, uh, the First Minister mm. of Scotland, who had done it. But tell us about your 16-year-old Well, I, I'm going to say a number of things that uh, you wouldn't hear me say very often, but here's one of them. Jack McConnell was right. Yes. <laughs> and I, I thought the smoking ban in public places was correct. He was correct to implement it, and many other countries uh, followed suit. And, and people who can now go into bars and restaurants and enjoy some clean air, they think the, the, the same thing. As far as the 16-year-olds, yeah, I mean, companies do intervene to try and push public health in the, in the right direction. You know, it's not an either-or, Mike, between doing something about knife crime. Uh, I, or more accurately, Kenny McCaskill, the Justice Secretary, reduced knife crime in Scotland by 75% yeah. in three years 
as well as doing something about smoking among 16-year-olds. So you don't, it's not an either-or thing. Well, no, I'm not suggesting it's an either-or. knife crime thing really annoys me because yeah. there is a, a, a route forward that we forward in Scotland. Unfortunately, it hasn't been totally pursued in Scotland mm. and crime, the figures have gone back up a bit. But you, there's a way to deal with knife crime, right? And I, I mean, okay, it doesn't deal with the underlying problems in society and all the rest of it, but it actually stops people getting killed. Mm. And that's you have to do a combination of uh, stop and search over everyone at the weekends under the age of perhaps 25 without fear or favour, every single person. And if people know they're going to get stopped and searched, then they won't carry knives. But you and know secondly, the difference, though? Let me finish this, Mike, because this is a big thing. All right. The, you have to treat it not just as a criminal thing, but also as a public health thing. And you have to bring into the communities which are ridden with knife crime, you've got to bring the victims of knife crime, the families of those who've died, and the people who've wasted their lives by carrying knives and being caught, and bring them to tell the youngsters of today just what a waste it is. And if you do that, if you do that combination, not one or the other, but both, then you will reduce knife crime very significantly. And, and the fact that politicians don't do it is just moral well, here's, here's what I would say to you. I mean, and people mention the Glasgow sort of model often, don't they, and say that they've actually proven that it can be done. But there's one classic kind of, I suppose, missing element of the crime involving knife, knives in, in Glasgow and in most of Scotland, and that's race. Because the problem with stop and search in, in England is that the people who generally object to it are the people who yeah, are that... representative, shall we say, of the black community. Well, sure, say, but, but, well it's just going to be racial yeah, well, profiling. That's, that's, that's where moral courage comes in. But, but you, you didn't have to do that no, in Scotland, no, no, yeah, well, yeah, but in Scotland there was plenty of moans and whines and groans. There I would mean, have been, yeah. There was a guy who led the Liberal Democrats when they were still in existence in the Parliament uh, who used to whine every week mm. about, you know, some... 15-year-old had been stopped in search. Yes. And with no kind of understanding that because of that process of being able to do it, if every single person yeah. under the age, of his age profile, yeah. under the age of, say, 25, is stopped and searched on a Friday and mm. Saturday night, then there is no racial profiling because every single person under a certain age will be stopped and searched. And knowing it's going to happen... It's what stops people yes. carrying knives. But I don't think it's practical in London, for example. Yes, to it stop is practical. Everybody under the age of 25 who's going out to Why see not? if they've got a knife. Because there's Why not not? police for a start. And even oh. if you wanted to do it, well, you think, you how think, long do you think it sorry, would take? Right, OK, you think you use up less police by uh, dealing with the consequences of knife crime, dealing with the, the pain and the and the disaster for families. And the, I mean, one victim of knife crime, the consequences don't just fall on them. Or no, I get family, all that. It falls on hundreds that. of people. I get And actually that. stopping it, yes, of course, it requires a concentrated mm. effort. But if you do it, people will soon see the results of it and they'll get behind it. Yeah. Including Listen. the people who suffer most, which incidentally is young black kids in London's most deprived yeah. communities. Absolutely right. But it is a more complex issue in London than it is in Glasgow. Well, and I think you would admit that. And I think everybody knows that it's a much bigger problem well, let's currently this way, in England Mike, I mean, nothing, as it is in Nothing Scotland. had happened for many years yeah. before in Scotland until we did it. And I have to say, it slipped back a bit in Scotland because you got people saying, oh, there shouldn't be a universal stop and search, oh, the civil liberties, blah, blah, right. blah. There's nothing more in danger of civil liberties than losing your life. Yes. And that's the, the hard fact and the reality. And it, sometimes it takes... And I just can't understand, you know, given the last five, six years, mm. where knife crime has escalated out of control 
in many of uh, England's cities, yeah. why there hasn't been the determination to do something decisive. Well, look at what I was just talking about there, about lawless Britain, in terms of it's not just knife crime. There is a sort of view abroad, if you like, that the country has kind of lost the plot. You know, we haven't seen football violence like we saw at West Bromwich Albion and uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers of the weekend for quite some time. Quite a few years now. Well, people that's who go the to football, crowd they've had for people, some well, yeah, very much so. But I mean, people who go to football will say, "Oh, well, it's never really gone away." We saw what happened at the England final in the Euros. All those people high on cocaine got their way through past security and got mm -hmm. into the grounds. Yes, but it's not been as bad as that particular incident was. We've also seen, I partly because maybe more things are now filmed. But people fighting in the street now is a common occurrence. There was one just down in Bournemouth, which, as far as I knew, was a sort of sleepy place where you went for a Conservative Party conference and bought a house in Sandbanks if you were lucky enough to make enough money. They're fighting outside a college in a street, sort of running battles, where five or six people were taken to hospital, 20-odd people were arrested. This was just one afternoon last yeah. week, you know. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure that you get cycles of things. I mean, I, I don't think, uh, from my observation, I, I don't go to many English football matches, but from my observation, Observation, uh, there's less lawlessness at football matches in England now than there was in the 1980s. Yes, I would yeah. say that's true. Uh, so but it's think, coming back, though, Well, the thing. well then, then perhaps you should do something about it before you get to the top. Of well, the do you know they are? Because you'll be delighted to know, I can bring you this as a piece of interesting breaking news, the Premier League have given um, the police in England millions and millions of pounds as a gift now, you'll know all about the uh, niceties of dealing with um, public bodies and whether they can accept money. Apparently, there is a way you can give a gift to the police. Well, that, well that's good, because... Um, and they're going to give that gift in order to have the police protect the top Premier League matches from trouble, because the police are starting to say, do you know what? We don't really fancy doing yeah, this. Well, well, that, so they're now paying them to good, do it. Good. Because, so now you because, can buy the police. Yeah, well, OK, mate, but, I mean, given the zillions of finance... Uh, that are in the, in the Premier League, and given the relatively paltry sums in the police budgets, I, I, to me, that's a good distribution. Well, how about also. they give them another bunch of money to, to, to actually fight knife crime? Maybe that would be Well, Well, I, I think you'll need two things there. You'll need a police force willing to do it, and you'll need politicians willing to... Instruct. Well, apparently they're willing to police football matches for money, so what else will they do? Well, that would be my question. You could do it on a payment and by results. <laughs> exactly right. Mm. Now, talk to me about uh, fasting, because Rishi Sunak, also in the news today, uh, in addition to the vaping scenario, um, he's also... He, I mean, yeah. he's, he's bringing in rules that are not necessary for things that already have rules. I mean, I, 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 you know, I told you Mike, Jack McConnell was right. I'm now going to say another... Uh, Rishi Sunak is an inspiration to me. <laughs> uh, not many people say that. But, Nobody would have expected but, but I, that you know, When you. I saw that interview, I thought, well, right, I, I've started the, the fasting diet. The fasting uh, today, diet? Today, How's today, that going? Well, day's, what, day one today. OK. It's good, all right so far. Are you hungry? Yeah, yes. I, I'm, I've been looking around <laughs> for anything to steal. So, but, I've got yeah, nothing here for you. But, you know, I, I saw that interview and I thought, you know, this guy is really on the ball now because when he said he was addicted to Mexican coke, Yes. I thought to myself, this, this whole boring image is being shattered. <laughs> then I, cause I found he out, said that before, hasn't he? He's well, he made found, that he found out he's talking about a sweet cola drink, uh, yeah, yeah. as opposed to the more interesting. I mean, you know, Michael Gove, I mean, he's, I'm sure he's addicted to Mexican Coke as well. He may well and, be. And goes to nightclubs to, to demonstrate. In Aberdeen. But I'm sure that's just a drink as well, absolutely. I'm sure it is, absolutely right. But, I mean, the whole point about Rishi Sunak is that he's always tried to kind of inspire this kind of cult of personality when I'm afraid he just doesn't really have one. <laughs> yeah, well, you need to have a personality Well, yeah, first. this is the trouble. But, I mean, I, I, was, I was struck by, uh, you know, the, the attack from his... I'm trying to remember, his predecessor. Yes, his immediate predecessor. Liz uh, Truss. Liz Truss. 
Who said well, this trust is very it, much of a proper conservative. Well, you? no, but you, you say that, but you know that's a proper American conservative. An American conservative believes in libertarianism, no regulation, yeah. no rules, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Traditional English conservatives believe in lots of rules. They believe in the Church of England, the House of Lords. They believe in static society. Then, well, American what, conservatives believe in the capital. Well, they believe in, in, well, in the House of Representatives. I'm just saying that the English Senate. conservatives historically have had many, many rules bearing down on the working classes. That was the difference between your traditional English conservative and your freewheeling and American conservative. And I'm not saying that Liz Truss you know, is, is, is the, should be regarded as the, the great authority on conservative ideology, but uh, she seems to be referring to American conservatism. Well, as I, think, to I, think, I think you may have a point there, but nevertheless, she does speak for a lot of people in this country when it comes to not so much regulation, but certainly more conservative policies that this government I mean, if only is failing somebody, to... If only somebody like Liz Truss could become Prime Minister and show us how... And not have the done. rug pulled from under her, it would be fair. Don't worry, though, because this week she's relaunching herself as a PopCon. She could come back. As PopCon. Have you heard about this? This is a new no, organisation. No, this is news to me. This is a new organisation which is going to bring the put, the... put the C back in conservatism. Uh, that's my <laughs> word, not theirs. That's not their slogan, by the way. Um, but one of the people that was about to speak at the launch of it was, of course, Simon Clark. And when Simon Clark last week um, ordered uh, everybody to get a new Prime Minister and ordered Rishi Sunak to step down, um, she immediately threw him under the bus. Did, did she so, pull the rug from Simon she Clark? She did. She did, <laughs> strangely enough. Um, but let's talk about Scotland. We mentioned Michael Gove. Um, mm. The COVID inquiry has been going on up mm. there. Um, the WhatsApp messages of Nicola Sturgeon have mysteriously disappeared. Um, we spoke about this last week on Burns Night. Um, but today, um, we're hearing more and more about how the SNP government really hasn't lived up to what it was hoped to be, shall we say, in, well, I mean, Mike, in, in that period. Mike, Michael Gove, uh, you know, without uh, you know, with just water to drink today, uh, was saying how dreadful it was that the SNP government were doing politics yes. while he and his colleagues were tackling COVID. <laughs> if only that were true. I mean, I, I came across a, a book which Michael was one of the, the authors of. Uh, it, it published in October 21, Strength in the Union, Tories and their essays. I mean, a bestseller, obviously. Of course. As Michael said, and just as we tackled COVID-19 with a UK-wide approach, so we should work together to build back together. What a ringing yes. phrase that was. Look, they were all at it. Yes. The idea that politicians should drop politics just because there's a national emergency is for the birds. And the idea that one set of politicians were doing it, another set mm. weren't, is equally ridiculous. You know, Michael, Michael Gove said, well, how shall I describe it? He's a hypocrite, right? So that's one. The real issue that matters to the, the, the bereaved relatives, they, they want to know things like, and they're not really getting too much of this as yet, but hopefully the, the inquiry will come on to it. You know, why did people get released from hospitals to care yes. homes carrying COVID with apparently no real mm. checks or, or awareness of what was happening. That's the real kind of issues. But in it terms, is. In terms of the, the WhatsApps, then I, I think the people who deleted the WhatsApps, including the Prime Minister, mm. current and past, current Boris Johnson and the current Prime Minister, and, and Nicholas Sturgeon and the others should be in real trouble. Yes. Nicholas' big problem, I suspect, is that press conference that's been shown from August 2021, where Kieran Jenkins of Channel 4 challenged her on this thing. She said, of course, we'll keep all the information, yep. including WhatsApp, and then lectured them on what public inquiries do. So anything that was deleted was deleted in the full knowledge that it should be retrained for the purposes of a public inquiry and not to have it done 
strikes me as real trouble. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And also, it's clear that uh, Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP did, because they said they wanted to, use COVID as a way of pushing independence. But let me move as you on. As the UK government were using COVID as a way of pushing the union. Well, I mean, you know, well, they're not, they don't have to push the union. The union's already in existence. No, no, come on, it's a plague in all the no, houses. not at all. I'm not having that. What I will <laughs> no, ask you to do... Well, what I will ask you to unionist. do... I am a unionist, of course, because I was born in London. <laughs> yes. My parents are from Scotland. They're, I wish they're, the they're, they're United they're, Kingdom to be united. They will agree to disagree. We will. But before you go, because of your great experience in these matters, can you tell us what's happened tonight in the House of Lords? Because we can't quite... Oh, yeah, well, they, they, they see, you and I were on a show <laughs> called the, the Eyes Have It. We were. The Edinburgh Festival. We, yes. should, we should have called it The Contents. The Contents. It's a good, <laughs> it's it's a good, uh, it's a good twist. Well, the, the, the Lords, as far as I can divine, mm. uh, voted that they were not content with a, an amendment to stop the bill. Right. So it was like a double negative. Yes. Which means that the bill was through and gone back to the Commons, yeah. and no doubt we'll start our series of ping-pong debates. Right. So, OK, back to the Commons, where now... Rishi Sunak could be undermined by his own MPs. Well, yeah, well, exactly. He much prefers which, that. Which branch of the Conservative <laughs> Party would undermine me next? He much prefers that. Alex, great to see you again. A Thank you very much indeed. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Stay exactly where you are, because after the break, the panel returns to dig into why Labour's private school fee plans could end up pinching grammar school kids and could peanut butter, fasting or not, before bed, be a cure for insomnia. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We'd like to start tonight's panel uh, with video comment editor at Telegraph, Steve Edgerton, journalist Georgie Gilholy, and journalist and broadcaster Sam Dowler. They're all here. Uh, I want to show you something, though, before we go any further. We're going to look at all the front pages of the papers and some other stories besides. Um, but there's been a bit of a demo over in France because the French farmers are not very happy um, with the French government. And the French government are busily trying to appease them at every step of the way. You might remember what happened in the Netherlands not very long ago. This is something similar um, where French farmers are threatening to blockade Paris. They're driving tractors up and down the motorways. They're spraying what can only be described as merde uh, all over <laughs> people who get in the way. Uh, they've got these huge kind of, um, you know, agricultural machines. And um, people, some people are saying that um, they might actually somehow blockade France to such an extent that we won't get some fruits and vegetables here. Um, but these are proper strikes, aren't they, in Europe? You know, when we look at our strikes, you just get a few people standing around with a few flags. I mean, you know, there's Aslef, they're on strike again this week. Um, no more trains for anybody. If you want to try and go anywhere, you might be able to get there. Um, but nobody's spraying anything on anyone. You know, they look very threatening. They're just really boring. I mean, you probably dread actually seeing one of these people come up to you and talk to you at any point. But let me ask you guys, um, Steve, let me talk, start with you. I mean, they do know how to do a protest in France, don't they? They do. And it's much better in one... It's more impressive, I suppose, in one sense than just a random communist who's a bit smelly sat yeah. outside of a train station. Yes. Then you have these amazing French protests where they're literally trying to blockade Paris. And they set fire to stuff. I mean, I saw uh, some earlier footage uh, on social media today of um, these French farmers setting fire to a load of fruit and vegetables in the back of a container truck. So the thing was on, you know, just in flames. And they don't seem to care. They're basically complaining about environmental um, measures being introduced by the government. Um, the new prime minister's trying to kind of buy them off, basically, and he keeps sort of changing his mind about what he's going to tell them they can do. But, you know, it's just... It's, it's, uh, it's more... Fr I, I just imagine this is going to go on all year. 
Well, they're literally trying to starve out Paris, which is a really yeah. fascinating... I think the last time that happened Siege was probably in uh, the Second World War. <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny, isn't it, isn't it, that food is always an issue in Parisian protests. When you go back to the French Revolution... Yeah. And that famous let comment, I know she never said it. Apparently she never said it. <laughs> she never did. Let <laughs> them eat cake. Say, let them eat cake. Isn't the closest thing that she said to that was something like, let them eat brioche? It was let them eat, it was let them eat was bread. Brioche? Yeah, but obviously, obviously brioche Which is, is a, a very, slightly sweet, sweet, very form, sweet bread. So, sweet yeah. form of bread, yes. I mean, that's, that's fair enough. I mean, I can't, I mean, we've got a farm dispute going on currently here. I don't know whether we'll ever see this kind of thing. I mean, I know that we've got there's quite a movement sort of starting on social media about you know f- you know keep the farmers fed and make sure the farmers are supported and all of that by local. It's not that easy to do though, is it? Well, Clarkson's farm. I don't know if you watched that, but it kind of I've highlighted seen of it. some of the issues that yeah. farmers face in the UK, where basically it's very difficult to make a living and yeah. they're reliant on the weather and things like that, so they can really right. have a sort of cost and a huge shock to the to their sort of uh, profit mar- yeah. mar- margins and things like that right. every single and year. And a lot of them, particularly dairy farmers, face a terrible kind of you know sort of product control by some of the mm. supermarkets who make sure that they only pay a certain amount of money for the milk that they buy and the cheese that they buy and the butter that they buy. It's kind of a... They're in a loser's market, aren't they? Yeah. I have to say I'm quite happy in a way that we don't have those French protesters here in the UK because I'm <laughs> sure we'd probably be complaining about it all night. I mean, whenever the eco-protesters go and lie on the roads for, like, half a minute, we're sort of complaining well, yeah. about it. And imagine if we had this in Britain. Well, that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like, we don't... Um, Le Français, they um, they love to protest. You have, was it Yellow Jackets, for example? Yeah. Like, you know... Uh, the Gilets Jaunes. Well, les Gilets Jaunes... Uh, yeah. They, um, and they love that, and like, and they That's do. That's all stopped now. And they isn't do, it? but they do. Like, but they do. When they do something, they they do it seriously. Yeah. I mean, like, you, I think I would. And, like... and, I, and I and I almost think like it's like it's it's not very British to do that. So I don't think our, our farmers. I agree. Would, I think our farmers wouldn't go. Our farmers yeah. wouldn't go that far. And and also like you know, especially our farmers now. Like I mean, surely we've left the EU, so you know, you know, certain. Certain problems are not there anymore, etc. But well, however, it's the net zero thing that people are upset about, though, because the net zero rules are saying to them that they have to do certain environmental, yeah. um, you know, manoeuvrings in order, in which they're saying is they're too expensive. I tell you what, I would like to see though is one of those mad spreaders, you know, those huge <laughs> things. Next time, just stop oil turn up in Westminster, you know, just spray them uh, with you know seven buckets of whatever. What do you say, Georgia? Um, I agree with you that. This kind of aggressive protest, um, as a British person, you would feel a bit Oogie. weird about doing it. You wouldn't. Icky. Though, on the other hand, so I you're think... all too young to remember the poll tax <laughs> protest, aren't you? Poll tax protest, yes, pretty they serious. Were, they were, they were brutal. pretty serious. The mining strike, I mean, mm. you know, when you had the, you know, all the, the, the police pitched battles with miners. I Peasants' mean, revolt. There was a time. Well, that's going a bit further back. Yeah. I'm not that old. You know, thank you very much. The feudal, the feudal you know, system. You know, I remember but, Margaret um, Thatcher. That's about it. You do feel a bit envious, though, because you kind of feel... I feel like British people maybe need to be a bit more forthright about what they want in yeah. terms of politics. Well, because look where we've ended up. We've ended up with a government that makes laws about things they've already got laws for. I mean, tonight in the in the Lords, we've got, you know, the bill now coming back to Parliament, like coming back to the House of Commons. We already know that there are laws that they could use to stop people coming but yet they don't use them. And it's an interesting point you make about us not protesting against huge issues. You talk Mm. about Rwanda, which is a great example of that, where you have this huge injustice, millions of people who surely should be angry about the fact we're putting these people up in hotels and stuff. But also net zero. I mean, we have these huge net zero rules. Our farmers aren't going out there making a huge fuss when actually they're probably impacted in in a similar way to the French farmers. And just generally people with heat pumps and Mm -hmm. with all these regulations, ULES is another good example. Maybe the ULES, the sort of Blade Runners thing is is one example where you can see some sort of similarities between French and British protests there. Yeah, I mean, mean, that's that's kind of non-violent protests, which Mm. we do quite well, I think. And I think the the problem is, like, especially 
especially with with all of the above that you, that you said, um, a lot of the public think, you know, that there are you know people want net zero. They see climate change as a problem. They see like a, a lot of a lot of the public do do agree with that. Well, some of them do. Some yeah, but them no, don't, you know. <laughs> but it's, but it, as I said, like you know, but like it's not it's not a political problem, climate change, it's a, it's a problem for everyone. Well, no, well, no, 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 no matter becomes, what way you look at it. So, it becomes a problem when you ask people how much money well, they want to spend well, to well, solve that's it. The thing, as soon the, as you say, yeah. how much are you willing yeah. to pay to yeah. save the planet, and it's all, they but say it's nothing. All, but it's all about, like for example, like getting my partner to do the um, to, to do the recycling. It's like, oh, well, no, well, China don't do it. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's... Yeah, you might as well not that is, But that isn't the point. I'm, I'm that isn't him. the point. I'm you with have, him. You have, but you have, to start, you have to start with what you can do no, you personally. Yeah, of no. course you do. Otherwise, we, otherwise we won't no. get anywhere. No. No you one will get anywhere. most of the recycling that you do actually goes. You know I, don't want, I don't want to think about it. It does not go into any form of recycling whatsoever. <laughs> Mike, when I, when I was dripping with bin juice film. this morning, I, I was when I was dripping with bin juice this bin morning. Bin juice, yeah, trying to, you know, the juice at the bottom of a bin bag. No, I don't have juice at the bottom of my <laughs> bin bag. You're know, supposed to throw it out before. When, it gets you, when, you, when you're trying to do, when you're trying to like sort your. But that's sort, the thing. Sort, I mean, it's annoying. Yeah, my, I don't want to do it. My local council delivered me a plastic bucket. Right about that size. The green one. No, it's brown. This one uh, didn't. Um, I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask them to spend my money on it. But they put one outside my door and they expect me to put food in it and then leave that's the, it out. That's the food caddy, yeah. Mike. Well, I'm not yeah. doing it. Part, partly because I don't leave any food on the plate because I was raised... <laughs> we didn't have very much in the 1970s, so I always clear my plate because there were starving people in Africa. <laughs> so I'm not getting you're not getting any of my bloody waste It's eggshells and, and peelings also, as well. if you put waste food out, guess <laughs> what happens? You get rats, you get foxes, you get cats... You get a whole load of vermin coming to your house, and it's completely horrendous. Do you know, Mike? My favourite clip from this show was mm. when we were talking about when you were talking about net zero, yeah, and differences between concrete and wood. And there was this brilliant clip where Mike was saying, "We can grow concrete," and I just yeah, come back to that. <laughs> it's true, and is you that... can. I mean, I'm. I'm can you explain that to us again? How is that? <laughs> You don't know. No. Oh, no. Well, it's a long story, which I shall <laughs> tell you. Um, Get your whiteboard out. Yeah, and show it's, it's, it's one of the greatest viral clips that's ever gone around the world. It's about 50, 60 million views now. I don't know how we've got news for you and everything. Um, however, uh, we need to talk about VAT and the Labour Party putting it on private school education. Uh, now, I don't know if any of you went to private schools, but um, of course you did. You're a lefty. <laughs> of course you went to private He's school. He's a lefty I mean, and he went to a private school. Yeah, I mean, that's how easy it is. I mean, I had a debate with Alex Salmond um, about Brexit, right? And the people who were busy telling the audience that, you know, the working class had been betrayed by these Brexiteers, these horrible people, they'd all been to private school. And the people who were actually saying, actually, Brexit's quite a good thing, hadn't. So that tells you all you need to know. It's trustafarian, it? About the elites in this, of this world. <laughs> but, you know, seriously, the problem is that a lot of people are saying, actually, it's all very well for the Labour Party to put VAT on this, but actually what it will do is it will prevent an awful lot of people who are not particularly wealthy but who save up a lot of money to put their kids into private school, they'll be priced out of the market, and then those kids will go to grammar schools, which will then have a knock-on effect, which will mean that less privileged kids will not be able to get into grammar school. I think this is about choice, isn't it? Mm. And, you know, what you're, putting, what you're doing here is you're putting a huge amount of pressure onto the state school system yeah. by removing the vast amounts of people who are just about who can just about afford to yeah. send their kids to I mean, I, I used I to be... A the, vast, I don't think it's a vast amount It is people. quite a lot, because if you think oh, about it, not. there are many private schools that nobody's really ever heard of. You know, it's mm. not all about Eton and Harrow. You know, it's not just very exclusive, very expensive public schools. It's a lot of public schools that are basically affordable mm. for people who have got a decent sort of joint but what income, these schools, but they're not rolling in money. What these schools are doing, 
are fantastic. They're yeah. public service. They're educating Because they're children. taking kids out of the system... Absolutely. ..which actually helps those who remain in it. It's a bit like people... And they're providing high like quality education. Who, yeah, it's What's like people... That? See, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think of it that way at all. Having been, having been to private school and, you know, I... I you know, I enjoyed Was it. it not I, met, really good? I met a lot of friends. I went to um, Haberdasher's Asks in Elstree. Nice. Um, oh, I can't say Asks anymore, sorry. It's Why not? Haber it's Haberdasher's because um, Asks was a slave owner. So, um, anyway... Say it here. Say it any here. Anyway. They, changed all the, they changed all the headed note paper and everything. <laughs> Probably. They can't mention slave Probably. owner. But I get emails from them quite often ask, asking for money. And, you, you know, when I, I, my, my parents sent, my, sent me there and they sent my sister there and, it, and like, and I... It beggars belief how much they must have paid a term. I know how much they paid, in fact, and I wouldn't say it now, but it was it's shocking amount. And we had, I mean, I did fencing at school, thank you very much, water polo. I did, you know, you know, sailing or sailing on the which is fantastic, right. fantastic, but but you, just don't, you don't want other kids to have the same no, opportunities. But that's not, but that, no, that's not what I'm saying. I, I don't think personally I needed that. I, th I, I think I would have. I think I would have excelled at a state, at a state school. But I think there is, you know, there were really good state schools. There are really good private schools. But like, you know, there's, there's a yeah. A I mean, I agree. There's not, a difference. Every... There should be more of a yes. blending of the two and work out a system whereby, whereby you know, you can, you know, you'd have made specific classes at a state school, etc. Or like, you know, like I went, I went to a specific. Class for, to get into um, Oxford and Cambridge, and the um, and the teacher at the end of the class said, "What are you doing here?" Because she because she knew. I'm not. I'm not. I don't push myself academically. So therefore, I was. She in was saying the, you I weren't able this, to I was go in to the, But I was in the school because that's where my parents wanted to send me. Whereas I think, <gasps> like, if I was in a school whereby I. I would have to work harder it's to not get all about to do you. better. No, but I mean, like, but that's it's not that's, all about you. But I do, You're making it all about your but I, childhood. But I don't. You know, we're trying to talk about whether VAT should be added to. Yeah, and I and I, don't, and I think and I and I think I, I agree with what Labour are doing. I think I think that I think that's the right decision. They but can you did they say, can make a lot of money. From why don't we have some kind of system where we have yes. the merits of private school blended with? with a nationalised state system. We did yeah. have that. We had grammar schools, we had direct yeah. grant schools, which were school, private schools that a certain amount of pupils, usually a course or so, were funded by the state to go to them. And we destroyed them in the 1960s and the 1970s. We had state grammar schools. I went mm. to one. Yes, yes. But yeah. I'm talking also about the direct grants. Um, destroy them completely. Um, so the remaining grammars that you have are a rump of what they used to be academically, and they're usually in places in the southeast and certain metropolitan areas, so only middle-class people are able to send their children there because they live in those nice areas. Mm. If we had a more of a nationwide system, you would have something along those lines. It's not going to happen because it's illegal to build anymore. Um, the Tories won't do anything about it, so I highly doubt that Labour will as well. well there are still some grammars, the aren't there? There's some in Kent. Yes, but we're not allowed some... to build more, Well, I mean, you say we're not allowed. I mean, anything's possible, you know, but it's certainly not going to happen under the Labour government. But Labour <laughs> destroyed Labour destroyed the grammar school system, you know, unfortunately. But the Tories didn't do anything to reverse it. So. No, they didn't, which <laughs> makes them just as bad, I'm yeah. afraid. You know, that is the problem. So really, we should rehaul the entire system. Well, like everything in this country, it's not it all needs... It? It all <laughs> no, it's not working. Needs, yeah. you know, everything needs a retread. The NHS yes. needs a retread. Education needs it. The army needs it. The trains. The government needs it. The trains. They all, everything needs yeah. it. If you can find me something <laughs> between now and 11 o'clock that doesn't need to be retread, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a special sip of my uh, special uh, liqueur here. Um, now, let's talk about peanut butter, because apparently somebody's discovered that peanut butter in the evening aids sleep. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a big fan of peanut butter. I, 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 I have to say, I do eat it on a digestive before I go to bed. Do you? Yeah, not, you, not... On a digestive? Yeah, just some greedy. Um, How yeah, much, 
Just, just a big, a big scoop. Spread it on like do you have it's a the cheese crunchy, spread. or do you have it smooth? Crunchy. Crunchy. Well, it's just a little snack. Yeah. I'm now not... I know that it helps me to sleep. Well, how I'm... do you sleep? Do you sleep well? I do sleep. I do sleep quite well. Yeah. Do you clean your teeth after you've had it? Oh, I cannot go to sleep without brushing my teeth. Yeah. Well, it's then that's kind of I think it's crime. I can't taste it. Well, the thing. Do you know? We were talking about this before the show mm. about peanut butter. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is that lots of kids these days, because their parents don't give them peanuts when they're kids, yeah. they then grow up mm. to have these peanut. Oh, a peanut allergy. So there's a huge issue where most. Well, you don't kids give your kids days... peanuts though. Who gives their kids? Yeah, peanuts? you give babies oh, you peanuts. Sure you, you're allowed to give baby like you know young you like toddlers to two year olds. I've had four kids. I never gave any of them peanuts. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is what happens in Israel. You know, Tell us about. I was saying to um, I was saying to Stephen that in Israel there's less nut allergies nowadays because they give children these. They're kind of like what's-its, but they're peanutty, like yeah. peanut flavour, well, called bamba. Peanutty is one thing, but you don't they give them actual They give them to little peanut. children, so they're less oh, like... Oh, to build up their right. immune system. Uh, yeah, they're bigger yeah, than actual peanuts. You can peanuts, choke on though. a peanut. Yeah, exactly. Um, not, not so I think, I guess in the UK, we need to be stocking up right. bamba. I'll basically. tell you a story. My kids are, are sort of... There's two lots of them, right? Two older, two younger. And the younger ones came to my flat in London once, and, and they were quite young. And I said, oh, I've got some peanut butter for you. Gave them this peanut butter, which they wanted on toast, and they ate it, and they tasted it, and they said... This tastes a bit weird. It tastes a bit funny. Um, I said, what do you mean? They said, it tastes oh. a bit like bleach. I said, sorry? <laughs> what do you mean? Anyway, it turned out it was a bottle of, a, a jar of peanut butter that I'd had with my other kids. And it had been in my cupboard for like 10 years. Oh. Um, and I, because I don't really eat peanut butter. It does go off. I just off. kind of left it there. And it was apparently horrendous. Luckily, they survived. <laughs> but, you know... Um, That's really good for the immune system, though, just giving them lots of bleach and things. Well, they're, yeah. Don't take that as advice. Pretty, <laughs> well, it's, apparently, apparently it's, it's, good, it's good for COVID, apparently, yeah. if you drink bleach. Yeah. I mean, well, my youngest son has never had COVID, and he never had any um, any vaccinations, and, you know, he never wore a mask. He had, so that, he had that bleachy peanut butter that you gave him. Bleachy so peanut happy butter. Days. It's like a Trumpian cure <laughs> for almost everything. <laughs> Um, absolutely brilliant. Now, what about beards? Now, I've only got one beard here, so I'm not going to be too harsh on you. I don't, I'm not a fan <laughs> of beards, right? It says, to beard or not, the Tory MPs have been told to shave their beards in a bid to be more appealing to the electorate. I mean, they'll try anything now, right? That is ridiculous, because people used to say that beards is. were shifty or that, you know, you were covering something up. But, yeah. like, beards have been... Beards have been well, beards are very fashionable. Beards have been fashionable for, for the last 20, 30 years. Well, no, but particularly since the advent of Shoreditch, I would well, say. Well, yes. You know, the sort of the trendy, you know, the trendy beard. Which is that what you have? Do you have, a, do you have a trendy beard? beard? Right. So the thing about my beard, the per- <laughs> there's one person who hates my beard, and he is Nigel Farage. Every time I see him, <laughs> he says, get rid of that left-wing beard. <laughs> Honestly, it I've, does known, look a bit I've known him a few years, yeah. and it's always get rid of the beard. Right. You look like a lefty. You look like Corbyn. Blah blah. blah. But maybe facial, that's a good um, thing. Facial though. hair is not political. We have to come on, surely. <laughs> that's that, you're that, the lefty saying that. But then you can say like blonde hair or dark hair. It's all you know, one way, one way or the other is political. It's ridiculous. Well, why haven't you got a beard? Because I can't grow one, Mike. You can't grow one. No, it was all that sailing you did when you were. No, I know all, all that sailing. You'd think I'd be a, a hardy seafaring gentleman. Yes, but no, alas, like I don't. My dad couldn't really buy really? Uh, grow one either. Like just just patchy and stringy, and it's not unpleasant. Mm. Have you had one bit? No, beard? I've never wanted to have a beard. Who's that? I think one thing you could say is that beards are definitely preferable to moustaches. Oh, that's you, Sam, with a beard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That, oh, is, that was the other day. That's as beardy as that. That's... Who said you couldn't grow one? So you do have a that's beard. A, that is not. That's a, that that's is, a beard. That is excess stubble. It's not a beard. Look well, at his. Look at his. You said, you look said how you well grow his beard one. is maintained. That looks revolting. It does. You're, you're absolutely right. But I mean, it is. It is a beard. There's no question. It was just excess stubble. No, I've just never wanted any kind of facial hair at all of any kind. I went, the, only, the closest I came. Talking about sailing, I once went sailing for about ten days in the Caribbean, and I didn't 
shave and so on. I came and it was almost reddish. It was a bit sort of Prince Harry-esque. Well, that's the problem. My beard does Auburn. go a bit ginger, which yeah. is slightly embarrassing. Yeah. But, uh, there's nothing, wrong with, there's nothing wrong with being ginger at all. <laughs> no. Well, as you say, Prince Harry, he's not setting the best precedent for that. No. But I don't think, by the way, I don't think Tory MPs shaving Tory MPs should be shaving. How is that going to help, shaved... gonna help not, them? It's, I think not gonna win the, it's not going to win the There's nothing worse either than somebody who you normally used to see with a beard and then they shave it off. And, they look oh, and, doesn't, and doesn't it doesn't it reek of clutching at straws? If that if that's well, really, I mean, I think, that's I think really as past, bad as we're getting. I think we're well past that point. <laughs> yes. What is your view of men with beards? Because since you're a woman, the only woman I mean, here, I should ask you. I mean, I think different people suit them. Different people don't. Do you think Steve suits him? Uh, yeah, we already discussed this already. He does. Okay. Um, <laughs> however, I think shaving a beard off at your boss's command is. Mm pretty embarrassing behaviour and I think that yeah. either you're a likeable and charismatic politician or you're not. Yeah. I think shaving a beard... Because you get told to do it by the yes. chief whip. Yeah, that was a bit lame, isn't it? Imagine yeah. if you shaved your beard and then you lost anyway. And then, I mean, you know, they will. Like, they will. Well, shave my beard off and, and you've got a job. Right. But and, you know, the best Prime Minister I think Britain has ever had yeah. had a huge beard and his name was Lord Salisbury. He was Prime Minister at the end of the 19th right. century. He's sort of quite obscure, but he's absolutely fantastic, worth reading about. Okay. And he had a massive bushy beard that went right. all the way down here. He was a great Victorian leader. So I'm think... not sure I'd vote for that. No? no it's not but also, it can, it, can, um, it, it can hide a world of problems. We were discussing it in the green room. Like, you, some people, you know, with a weak chin, for example, if you grow your beard slightly down, then it looks like you have a longer face. Like, right. you look a lot more attractive. Well, there we are. Um, Give it a go, Mike. Well, maybe Keir Starmer should grow a beard and make himself less popular. Oh, no, he could <laughs> He's already about as unpopular as he could possibly be. Um, you're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and you better stay watching, because I'm going to bring you tomorrow's news before anybody else. Also, I'm going to tell you why the highway code is driving me crazy. Be back after this. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. The world of woke. Now, the world of woke has long recognised that the real enemy in our modern world is not the burglar, not the thief, not the shoplifter, but the car, followed closely behind by the people that drive them. All over the country, there are new and more punitive measures being put into place to hinder drivers, speed bumps to slow them down, low traffic neighbourhoods to stop them moving, speed traps to find them, parking zones to charge them more, and, of course, low emission zones to punish them. Two years ago, the government joined in with this jolly war on the motorists by changing the rules in the highway code to benefit pedestrians and cyclists over the vast majority of road users who actually drive. The new rules stated that pedestrians were now at the very top of the hierarchy of road users, followed in second place by the dreaded cyclists. Fifteen new rules were introduced in nine separate sections of the motoring rulebook, all were designed to protect pedestrians and cyclists from larger vehicles that could do them harm. A noble enough idea, you might think, but the new rules led to massive confusion about where pedestrians could cross the road, which is basically anywhere, and ensured that drivers would become even more frustrated by cyclists meandering too abreast down busy roads. Many drivers complained that the new rules gave cyclists too much power on the roads. They state cars must pass at least five feet or one and a half metres away from them when overtaking, a practical impossibility in many cities. Well, now official figures suggest that the rule changes have done nothing to bolster the safety of pedestrians at all. They can now cross roads anywhere they like. But in fact, things have got more dangerous for them. Less than a quarter of motorists followed the new changes and more pedestrians were killed in 2022 than in the previous year. 385 deaths compared to 361. That's some failure for a policy that was meant to do the opposite. 
In truth, it is the car driver that bankrolls much of the government's policies on the roads and elsewhere, punishing them with higher road tax, fuel duty and bigger penalties for low emission zones and parking is simply unfair and it's also unwoke. Many of our cities and towns are now almost entirely at a standstill for long portions of the day thanks to congestion, reduced space for vehicles, extra bus lanes and closed off streets. But yet, many people still need to drive to make a living. This woke, green nonsense about getting people out of cars isn't working. Is it time we return some kind of sanity to our roads? The world of woke. Well, let's look at some other stories from uh, tomorrow's papers. We've got loads of them here. Um, the front page of The Sun, guys, is, uh, is quite a shock. Exclusive for Manchester United. Um, Marcus Rashford, the former hero of the left, uh, the man who <laughs> thought that free school meals was a good idea for everybody, um, apparently passed out at 3am uh, after being on a 12-hour tequila party bender before <laughs> calling in sick. Not exactly the sort of, um, I don't know, not, not, not really the right sort of thing to do. It's not woke behaviour, is it? Is it? No, it's not really it's, very woke behaviour. No, it's not. <laughs> you have to... saying, that, um, saying that kids should have free school meals, it isn't woke. It's just hu- humanitarian, surely. No, it's, it's not, just, because it's, when it's their just, parents can a... afford to pay for them, there's no <clears throat> point giving them for free. Yeah, but he wasn't... You, he wasn't lot, he, you think he, everything can be done for nothing. He it wasn't talking be. about that, though. Yeah, he, he was. Wasn't, he wasn't talking about giving, giving like... He's giving, like... Act- no one can say, left or right, that giving... Poor kids, like some, I know because my, my, my family works in schools and some and some kids rely on a school meal as their yeah, main Yeah, and they get free the school day. meals if they're yeah. poor. So they already so there's do. No, so there's nothing, wrong, there's nothing wrong with him fighting for that. He's, no. He's, he's done... He's, well, he wanted to give them free he's school done meals. Well. No, hang on. He wanted to give them free school meals during the school <laughs> holidays, which is not what you have to do. That's a different thing altogether. Either way you look at it, he's done. He's done well. He's done well as as. He's done well know, to go as, on a twelve-hour tequila binge party. How, yeah, this is this is this is. You're now going to defend him for being a drunk. Yeah, I am. Okay. He is a um, he's he's a, a footballer. They get paid crazy amount of money. Yeah. I mean, like this is this is today's son. Yeah, but yesterday, his job. Yesterday's son was about um, um, Walker, and that was about having having affairs. Like. It, their job is to go yeah, and, play, Walker, and play football, have a lot. They yeah. have the best job in the world. And what has of course, they're going to like, you know, what, And what hasn't Rashford team. done? What hasn't he done? He hasn't done his job because he went to drink in a nightclub and didn't play football. He Did pulled he... out of the game at the weekend because he was too ill to play. Was it an actual, was it an actual game where he was playing? Was it yes. was it a rehearsal? It was an Not FA rehearsal. Cup. What's it called? It was an <laughs> FA Cup. It was an FA Cup, fine, uh, <laughs> FA Cup drawn match. Well, that's not that's not great. Is He's that... not setting a good example. He really is, no. Because no. he is someone who... Woke or not woke. Oh, sorry, no, no, no. But hold on. He has sort of set himself up as this figure. He's a virtue sort of signalling footballer. Right, exactly. Right? And now and in this case, he's crashing and burning because his real personality has been laid bare for all well, He might be a hypocrite, but at the same time, Mike, we do actually, if we're being honest, we do quite like the fact that footballers aren't all sort of... I prefer woke. full-time footballers who behave terribly badly, like Carl Walker. At least he's not pretending to be something he's not, whereas Rashford <laughs> he's is. He's not pretending to be something he's not. He was... He was this, this, the, the, the two things are not the same it. thing at all. He didn't say, oh, if I, if I fight for school meals, I'll never have another drink. Like, of course he didn't. Like, he's still a young... He's a young man who wants to have a laugh, so he's let him do it. He's been playing football for Manchester United for 10 years, and all of the fans who pay a lot of money to see him are very disappointed. Can't believe you're standing up for him. I agree, no, I agree with that. Yeah. Personally, I think the, 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 whole, the, whole, the whole football... Let's talk about peeing anyway. in public, because there's a new um, law that's going to be passed, a bylaw, I suppose you might say. There was a story a few weeks ago, we covered it here, of a guy who was given a, a, a ticket for littering because he was caught short while he was driving, got out of the car in a lay-by, 
had a very discreet pee at the side of the road and suddenly was leapt upon by some character who came out of the bushes and said, what are you doing? <laughs> and gave him, a, gave him a penalty charge. Who notice. was this character in the bushes? That's what he's I was apparently, well, he was like a local creepy warden. Some creepy council member who happened to be out dogging, happened to, like... You no, know, he was, no, he was like a, no, he was like a warden, wasn't he? Like a parking warden. <laughs> and they've now declared that actually peeing will be, will be presumed to be as bad as littering. No, it's an out it mad it's me. an absolute outrage. Um, my sister, for example, back to me and my family, um, she, you know, she has, a, she has a small bladder. And like an often when we're driving on the motorway, she, we have to stop and we stop on a lay-by. She she opens the back door and the front door and does a little pee in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Why don't you stop in the service station like everybody else? No, because when she needs it, she needs it like now. And with I not, see. Not, not, in, not in 15 minutes' time, now. She's, okay. she's got a weak bladder, she's had two kids, blah, 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 blah. The point is, if somebody is weeing in a, in, you know, like an area of undergrowth or a forest. It's, not, yeah. it's, it's, it's different, like... What, what, it's what all about it? the time and the place. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah. Peeing, it is. In the, peeing in the street in, like, an, in a built-up area against somebody's house, of course not. In the bushes, that where is. people can't see you, etc. like, that's... Uh, of yeah. course, that's fine. Well, they shouldn't fine. have people lurking about trying no, to catch people either. That's very creepy. Are we ignoring the fact that lots of councils have recently um, collapsed due to lack of funds? I yes. think they're just desperate <laughs> for money, right? They're desperate to they find any way. Yeah, yeah, of course. That absolutely right. right. Including yeah. talking of people <laughs> who are not yeah. desperate for money, how about Taylor Swift? The pictures of her in the sun today embracing the latest chapter in her love story because her star boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, um, has reached the Super Bowl. And she's, I think, performing at the halftime show. Um, no, no, she? she's no, she's not. No. Isn't she? she? I no, thought she was. It's, it's not her. She's like, it's a it's a big old deal doing the halftime show. Yeah, I, I know. I well, you, what you're saying? She's I... not big enough to no. do the halftime <laughs> no, show. No, she's only the biggest star in the world. It's definitely, it's definitely not her. I can't think off the top of my head who it is. Are it's you sure? Kira. No, it's definitely not her. It's right. um. But well, she has taken over American football. I mean, this is an extraordinary. Well, look, Tay Tay on Taylor Swift on on her. She's a kind of a religion in America and and around the world. Like her fans are crazy. Not in a bad. Are you not a Swifty? Not in a. I'm. I. Do you know what? I like Taylor Swift. I like some of her music. But I said to a friend of mine who is a Swifty, I was like, well, I don't like it when it's this album, that album. She's like, <gasps> you know, shocked and appalled. Like people love her. And I, and this is such a bizarre scenario because obviously she's turned up as the girl. Friend, massive high profile, and then they've won, and then they've gone to the. I mean, there's 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 right wing pundits already saying it's conspiracy theory, like you know that she's, you know, it's all it's all it's all planned. But I don't think. Wait, hold on. What's the what's the conspiracy? I'm confused. The conspiracy um, is that, that, that she is operating for the Democrats. Yeah. The Democrats are paying her as if they need to pay her. Uh, to basically convince everybody who is a fan of hers to vote for Democrats. And then they win, the super, they win the Super Bowl, so therefore they should, they should vote for Democrats. But Joe I Biden. sort of see where they're coming from, because she is a bit lefty, and she has... I know she's she doesn't really Democrats say much. She doesn't really she say has, much about politics. She has talked a little bit about she got, it. She, she doesn't really she do got it on, on, um, on... There was a day in America last year where, you know, it was, it was a day to register to vote. She got 38,000 young people to register yeah. to vote. And she which sold good it to And she didn't say which way to vote. She just said register to vote, she has, really she has come out and sport. But it turns yes. out, you know, that she was offered the chance to sing at the Super Bowl halftime show and turned it down. Mm. So I'm sure she's probably big. turned it down multiple times. Well, yeah. she turned it down specifically this year for right. 2024. So she went. She's on a huge it. tour, though, right? So that's she is. Yeah, she's on her era's tour. Have you got most... tickets, anybody? Anybody got tickets? No, I heard they're really expensive. <laughs> oh, no. So you just people screaming. <laughs> right, okay. I, I had tickets, but then I heard that it was a four-hour show and that. 
that doesn't, do it. That, doesn't, that doesn't do it for me. What did you do with the tickets? No, the, well, the tickets. The tickets. Don't give them to your sister. The tickets were free. The tickets were free anyway. They were, they, were, they, were through, they were through contact. She, was, she won't be able to see uh, half the show. She would go to the toilet every but time. But like, but but to her fans, that is that is ambrosia for yeah, four hours of her like singing all of her songs like. From now so a couple many of stories. I tell you what, the Telegraph, your paper's led with farmers laying siege to Paris, so must be a, must be a big story. Um, Tory gave up minister's job. Uh, because he couldn't afford to pay his mortgage. George Freeman quit as science minister in November, uh, saying basically his health and his family and his well-being uh, was at risk. Writing in his blog just days ago, he revealed another reason. My mortgage rises this month from 800 a month to 2,000. This sounds all like this. Um, <laughs> which I simply couldn't afford to pay on a ministerial salary. What? A ministerial salary is like 100 grand, isn't it? I think so. I think, well, I think it depends... You can't afford 2000 a month. Yeah, I think it depends which minister you are. But it does say, I think politicians... Well, the basic MP salary is 86000 Yeah, right? yeah. So it, you get additional money for being a cabinet minister, don't you? Yeah, you do. You're not, so, no, you, you know, do. You should, surely you would be able to at afford least that. 100. I mean, maybe he has family, maybe... He also has, has expenses. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I mean, I'm calling um, BS on that. I'm saying he must be talking absolute rubbish. I agree with you there. You know, I don't it buy sound, it. It does sound um, I do think MPs go through a lot and, you know, we shouldn't be too harsh on them in some ways. They but... They do go through yeah. a lot. Sorry, I don't pay them enough of my taxes to uh, be able to... They go through a lot of... No, they go through a lot of, so they go through a lot of BS. Not any sympathy from Why me. am I being worried? We should all feel one. sorry for them, I'm sure. Final one. We've only got 30 seconds left. Iranian dissidents living in the UK have been warned by counter-terrorism police in the past fortnight of an increased risk of violence and kidnap. Or maybe they should stop, you know, firing missiles at people. I think these are people who are against the Iranian regime who they live are. in the UK. Yeah, there are yeah. people, yeah. Who I mean, are being targeted the by the Iranian regime. This is the trouble um, with, um, with yeah. in, you know, embracing borders and embracing fights that are happening everywhere else. But there we are. Um, thank you, guys. I'm afraid uh, we are out of time. We've done everything we can. We've told you about all the big <laughs> stories we could. Badenoch and, Badenoch and Gove on Tory Grop, evil plotters. We didn't do that one, but never mind. Um, <laughs> but thank you. That's all from me tonight. You've been watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you very much indeed to all my guests. Just going to have to go uh, and get a little bit of this so I can get a good night's sleep. You'll never guess what this is, right? It's a bit of peanut butter. Uh, I haven't got a digestive to put it on, unfortunately, but I'm going to try it. Mm. We can't, we can't talk. Is it bleachy? We can't talk. It's not bleachy, so bleachy. it's not 10 years old. It's all right. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.